Peter chapter 1. This is a book that is so relevant, it's so applicable for today, especially with what God is doing in our world, in our country. If you were able to see those scenes of people in Capitol Hill, of the unrest this entire last year, of what is taking place in our country. And I really believe as a church, what we're experiencing are, you know, very palpably now the last days. The Bible talks about a time where the division would take place amongst believers even, that the love of many would grow cold. But what you see taking place, I, I really believe that the Lord is also humbling us. He's humbling us for putting our trust in something other than him. For becoming, in some ways, even fanatics. <laughs> and, and you know what happens is that when we come, become fanatics, we start to give the glory to another. And God is very clear in his word that he's not going to share his glory with another. <laughs> I like what Chuck Smith said when he said this, Anything that obstructs our view of the Lord needs to die so that we can see him high and lifted up. <laughs> you know what happens when we see the Lord high and lifted up? The train of his robe fills the temple, as in Isaiah chapter 6. The glory of God can fill the temple. The glory of God can fill the space of our lives, or his presence can come because we have a view of him and nothing else. You see why a lot of people are disappointed right now is because their trust was in a person. But when your trust is in the person of Jesus Christ, when your trust is not in a government, when your trust is in Jesus and you look at Scripture, you understand that you have no reason to be disappointed because you're trusting in the plan of God. You know what we are a part of right now? We're a part of the plan of God. <laughs> and God is so choosing that this be his plan in order that he prepares our hearts for the coming of the Lord. And what we need today, notice this, we don't need anger. <laughs> what we need is anguish. You know the difference between anger and anguish is? I'll tell you this. The difference between anger and anguish is a broken heart. <laughs> a broken heart. That's what we need, a broken heart right now for the state of our nation, for the state of even the church. Because it's very easy to become angry, especially as someone else's sin. But it's not easy to look at sin, our own included, and weep over it. Do you have anguish today for what's taking place? You see, what, what's taking place, and even we see it in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, as we had an introduction last week, is that, that we are also living in a time of pressure, in a time of persecution, in a time of trial as Christians. And here Peter is telling the church, how are you to live victoriously in the middle of adversity? How are you to live victoriously right now in the middle of social unrest, in the middle of chaos, and in the middle of crisis? Because these Christians that he's writing to in 1 Peter were literally running for their lives because of their faith. And Peter here is giving them hope. Now, what is he tell, uh, telling them, or what has he told them so far? Number one, he's told them that we are sojourners as Christians. 
What does that mean? That you're just passing by in this life. That you're a pilgrim. That you do not belong to this place. He is giving them perspective of heaven. In fact, not only does he call them sojourners, but he says you have a heavenly inheritance. So as a pilgrim, you have something to look forward to, and that is heaven. You see that what we ought to be looking forward to is heaven? This is not the final destination, this earth or this world. We have a heavenly inheritance, and he's reminding them this so that he builds in them hope and encouragement in a time where they're losing hope. You know, many of us are losing hope. But here Peter is encouraging us to gain hope in our heavenly inheritance, in the fact that we don't belong to this world, we belong to heaven. But in the meantime, he says, as you're living this life, you are called to live a holy life. And that's what the churches, church need right now. The church as a whole. We need to live a holy life. Living a holy life, a life of obedience that promotes, notice this, holiness always promotes unity and love that comes from the word of God. Unity and love that comes from the word of God. That's why today we've titled the message, A Firm and Lasting Foundation. A firm and lasting foundation. You want a, a strong foundation in your life this year? Do you want a foundation that will last this year in the middle of everything that's taking place? Well, that foundation has to come from the word of God. And you know what that foundation produces? It produces holiness, and from holiness you receive love and unity. Love and unity. Now let's read here 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, which is for us right now. And I pray that you would receive this message as it, not only it's for us, but it's for you. How are we to behave with the things that are changing around us? See, things are going to not only change around us, they're going to continue to change. They may become even more challenging, but the word of God doesn't change. And that's exactly what he's reminding them. You might experience change all around you, but what is steadfast, what is firm, where you can find stability in, because people are looking for stability right now, it's in the Word of God. Did you know that your faith is a point of stability right now? And your faith is only as strong as your devotional life. Your faith is only as strong as your devotional life. You want stability, it's going to come from the Word of It's not going to come from anywhere else. People will fail you. Policies will fail you. You know what won't fail you? is principles. Precepts. Those will never fail you. Because precepts and principles are here to stay. <laughs> you know where they are? They're in the Word of God. And we can trust the plan of God if we know His Word. Now, let's read here 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Because it says this, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, he's reminding them of their identity. Since you have been purified in obeying the truth, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because, notice this, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flowers 
falls away, but the word of God or of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, Lord, knowing that the only place of stability that doesn't fade away is the word of God. And we ask that today we could regain hope, that we can regain stability from your word. Give us strength from the only place where strength will last, and that's your word. Give us a strong foundation and where we see things around us that are falling apart, that we would remain strong. Lord, I ask that you would encourage us. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, amen. Now notice here it says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. He wants to remind the Christian believers or the Jewish believers here that they have been purified in their soul and the purification or the cleansing took place as they have obeyed the truth. Purification or cleansing begins in obedience. And notice this, what he says, that they have cleansed in obedience. They have been purified in soul. Notice that the purification is not in body because body is so temporary. But the purification is an eternal, it's an everlasting, it's a, it's a purification from the inside out. It's of the soul. And you have been cleansed or purified in your soul by the washing of the water of the word. In fact, he's reminding them right now as you are discouraged, remember you have been purified in your soul not only when you receive the word of God, but when you obeyed the word of God, when you applied the word of God. And how, what, what in your soul has been purified? Well, notice this, church, Christian Jewish believers that feel the pressure, that are being persecuted, that feel the trials right now. What has been purified? Well, in obeying the word of God, what the word of God does, it, it serves as a cleansing agent, notice this, to purify now your motives, to purify your intentions, to purify now those things that stand in the way between brothers and sisters. Did you know that there is nothing that the word of God cannot purify so that we can be cleansed from those things that stand in the way of us as believers? In fact, the word of God is so strong that there ought to be nothing. If we're in taking the word of God and we are obeying the word of God, there should be nothing that stands in the way of believers. You know why oftentimes we let other things stand in the way of believers? Because we are not being purified in our souls by obeying the truth. When we obey the truth in application, you know what happens there? A purification of intentions, a purification of thoughts, a purification of behavior, but also a purification of anything that stands in the way of unity. That anything that stands in the way of unity. What the church needs today is unity. The world is divided. The church needs unity more than ever. But notice, since you have been purified so that you can be united now, listen to the last part of verse 22, because he encourages them to do this. Through the Spirit, the Spirit is the one that has purified you. And when you obey the truth, in sincere love of the brethren, with a genuine love, notice this, with an authentic love, with a real love now, 
have love for one another fervently with a pure heart. Now what is the command here? Since you are obeying the truth, since you have been purified and cleansed, your responsibility now is to show sincere love. To show sincere love. What does the Word of God do? The Word of God purifies you, but the Word of God, as it purifies you, it gives you the ability to show sincere, honest love, genuine love, as brothers and sisters to one another. Now, what kind of love is it talking about? That you ought to be fervent, not only sincere, but fervent. I want you to underline those two words in your Bible in verse 22, where it says sincere, because it should be an honest love. It should be a genuine love, but it should also be a fervent love. What does it mean to be fervent? It means a love that is constant. It's speaking about a love that we need today that is deep. It's speaking about a love that is stretched to the limits. So what is the type of love that we ought to have for one another if, we've, if we are obeying the truth? If our souls are being purified, a love that is real, that is genuine, but a love that is constantly, deeply stretched to the limits. Do you ought to love one another with all your heart? But notice this. Only those souls who have been purified, only those souls who have been saved, only those that are obeying the word of God have the capacity to love this way. Do you see that in, in, our, in our own strength, in our own flesh, in our own minds, we do not have the capacity to love with sincerity and fervently if our souls have not been purified? In fact, because your soul has been purified, now display that in a sincere love, in a love that is stretched to the limits to, for one another. That is now the now byproduct or the fruit now of being purified. And it's a love that is exhibited. Notice it's, it, is, it is manifested how we, by the way that we meet one another in their point, in point of need. How is it that you are to love sincerely and fervently? Where you see your brother and sister in need, you meet them in their need. And you're loving them in sincerity. You're loving them fervently. Do you remember in Romans chapter 12 verse 10? Where Paul tells the church to be kindly affectionate to one another. With brotherly love. Giving preference to one another. God is calling us to sincere and fervent love. A sincere and fervent love. That, that it gives preference to one another. A love that promotes unity now. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, it says this, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So what is it that he's saying? One another, as brothers and sisters. So we see here in verse 22 that, Paul is, that Peter here is sharing with the church that they ought to love with unity. Their obedience should produce unity. Now, unity requires three things. I want you to... Note these, that you would remember this, because unity requires obedience to the truth. You see in verse 22, since you have purified your souls, and number one, obeying the truth. Unity requires obedience to the truth. Unity also requires a purity of soul. A purity of soul. And finally, unity requires sincere love. It requires sincere love. You cannot have unity anywhere specifically in the body of Christ 
If we are not obeying the truth, if our souls have not been purified, if our motives have not been purified, if something is standing in the way of sincere love, right? Because this is exactly what Peter is exhorting the church, to move and pursue pure love. Why? Because you've been born again. <laughs> because you have been born again. Now notice verse 23, it says, having been born again. Having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now he's reminding them also, you have been born again to a new life. And this new life that you live is not temporary. This new life that you live, it, it is not a disposable life in a, in a now body that is decaying and is fading away every day. That is not the life that you're living. You've been born again to a new life, and that new life belongs to a new family. <laughs> what is the family that you belong to? The family of God. Your identity is in the family of God. And he says, you've been born again now to an enduring life, not of a corruptible or of a perishable seed. Not of the flesh. The flesh is corruptible. It's a corruptible seed. That means that from the moment that you're born, guess what takes place in your body as it grows? It's also at the same time decaying. <laughs> but he's saying the seed that you are born of now, this new seed, it's the seed of the word of God. And the word of God produces a new life. You are born of a new source. It's the word of God. And that new source produces a new life. Now, do you see that the spiritual life that is implanted in us by the word of God, it's planted there by the new birth of the word of God now. And that new birth is planted by the word of God. That's the seed right there. And the regeneration or the new life that we receive, we receive that regeneration by the word of God. And the word of God has lasting power. Now, why does he remind them this? Because it's enduring. The life that we're living in right now, it's not enduring. The life that we see ourselves so anxiously trying to hold on to is passing. <laughs> you know why it's so disappointing sometimes that we try to so anxiously hold on to a life that is passing away? And we become frustrated. We become discouraged. We become disappointed by holding on to things that are simply passing away. He's reminding them, persecuted church, don't hold on to those things so anxiously that are passing away because this life is temporary and you belong to a new life with a seed that doesn't fade away, with a source that is everlasting and that source is the word of God. Now he's going to give us a contrast between that which is temporary and that which is everlasting. You know one of the things that us as believers need to continue to be reminded of? The difference between that which is temporary and that which is eternal. <laughs> and then not become so anxious. Then not become so now afraid. The reason why the church oftentimes is afraid is because we've taken our eyes off of that which is eternal, which is the plan of God and the word of God, and we've placed our eyes on that which is temporary. And it brings and builds fear. Here he's saying, don't be afraid, church. Find hope that you don't belong to a life of decay. We turn on the TV, you know what you see? A life of decay. <laughs> things that are fading away. Deception, sin, temporary things. 
And he's saying, don't look or don't be focused and fixed on the things around you. Be focused and fixed on the new implanted word of God inside of you. And when you focus on that, guess what? You will not become distracted. You will not, you'll be focused. You want to increase your focus? You need to decrease the distractions. <laughs> you need to decrease the distractions. You know where the distractions come from? Anywhere outside of the word of God. And here he's saying, continue to be focused on that which is enduring. That which is lasting. In fact, look at the contrast he gives us in verse 24. Because the word of God abides forever. The word of God is eternal. And your life is in the word of God. Your new life is in the word of God. Your new life is eternal. This life is not eternal. <laughs> Remember that church. Verse 24, because all flesh is as grass. You know the word when it says all flesh? All people are like grass. How does your grass out in your front look right now? <laughs> does it look alive all year round? Or does it look like it needs some work? He said people are like grass. In fact, he says this, in all the glory of man or the beauty of man, it's like a flower of the grass. Now look at the comparison. People are like grass, and the beauty or the glory of man is like a flower in the grass. Well, now what happens to grass? Grass dries away, and the beauty of that flower that it once had, it no longer has it because it's temporary. It's not everlasting. It's not enduring. In fact, it's teaching us here that our human life right now today is vulnerable, it's weak, and it's teaching us the frailty of the human flesh. We're so weak and we're so vulnerable. Our human flesh, our human life, the life that we live in right now, it's temporary. And listen to this word. I love using this word to describe this. Our human life is disposable. <laughs> You know what disposable means? That it's only for a season. I was talking to a pastor this week, and he reminded me, our everything is for a season. Now, do you see here that he's saying that as the, the grass that is green for a season, as the glory and the flower is green for a season, now notice this, the grass withers, the grass dries up, and the flower falls away. <laughs> Not only does the grass dry up, but the flowers dry up and they're passing away. This life is passing away, church. That's why we cannot be focused in this life so much. Because this life is passing away. But, notice verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Isn't this amazing? Why are you so anxious then? Why are we so frantic? Why are we afraid? Why have we become fanatics of this life? You know what's interesting? That the things that we become so involved in take us away from giving God the ultimate glory. We don't belong to an earthly government. In fact, in this next chapter, he says you're a holy nation. You're his own, you belong to his own government. <laughs> it's a higher government. It's a higher kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. And although we stand for righteousness and truth, we have to find our identity in the enduring word of God. That this life is passing away, but notice this, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
That thing that we're into right now is passing away. That, 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 that priceless now pursuit that we are chasing after, it's going to become old. The clothes that we're wearing are going to become old. The, the resources that we have will run away, will run out. <laughs> but the word of God endures forever. It, you, see, you see what the word, the word endure means? It's permanent. It's lasting. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't pass away the word of God. This is something that you can trust because it's enduring. It's endured the test of time. The word of God is forever. There's power in the word of God. And he's giving them perspective. I want you to gain perspective here. What is more important? What is more important right now? Is it more important that we become so indulged, so involved, completely overwhelmed in what is taking place? That we forget what is most important. You know what's most important? That we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord. <laughs> that is most important. Is your heart prepared for the coming of the Lord? Or is your heart anxious because you're living for today? These Christians, they were persecuted by Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero was using their bodies to light them up as candles to light up Rome. And here Peter is telling them, don't focus on this life because this life is passing away. Notice he didn't say fight against Nero. <laughs> he didn't say protest against Nero. You know what he said? Look to the word of God because it endures forever. This life is passing away. Continue to live a holy life. Isn't this amazing for us today? To not be looking at the world as our source to life Look to the word of God as the source of your life. Because that's where you, you were born again in the word of God. And it endures forever. It doesn't perish. Now notice what it says. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. You received this word. It was preached to you. It's lasting. It's enduring. It doesn't fade away now. And in light of what God's word is to us, what is it to us? It's our source now. Because the word of God is our source to new life. We should receive the word of God and receive it with a particular heart. What's the heart that we should receive it with the right heart? Are you receiving the word of God today with the right heart? Are you planted in the word of God this year? And I want to encourage you again this second Sunday of the year that you would have a plan to finish the word of God this entire year from cover to cover because that's the only thing that's going to matter at the end of your life if you know the Lord. Do you know the Lord? This is where our life is coming. This is the source of life, the word of God. This is the source where our life is in. This is the, the handbook to life. This is the, the constitution that we ought to live by, the word of God. The flowers fade away, the grass withers, but the word of God endures forever. And in light of it, we should receive it with the right heart. What is the right heart? Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, therefore, therefore, with that being said now, that your life is enduring in the word of God. Therefore, now he's going to talk about not only the enduring word, but a real love. This is what a real love looks like. This is the kind of love and unity that we need to display right now. What does the church need to do, you would ask yourself, in a time of difficulty? What does the church need to do in a time of change? What does the church need to do in a time of even disappointment? 
or persecution or pressure. Or when things are not going favorably for the church. What are we to do? We are to display, notice this, we are to display love and humility. Love and humility. This is what he's reminding them to. He's not telling them revolt. He's not saying start a revolution, church. You know what he's saying? Continue to display love and humility. You know what love and humility do? It produces unity in the church. But unity cannot live in the church if we're living in carnality. You know what we've seen a lot last year? We've seen carnality in the church. And you know how we've seen carnality in the church? By one Christian coming against the other. (laughs) By brother and sister being divided. And here he's saying in chapter 2, in only three verses, he's going to tell us, since you are of the word of God, this is where you're from. You're from a new family, the word of God. And because this is enduring, get rid of, lay aside those sins that push you away from one another. You know what pushes you away from one another? The five sins that are so deadly to unity. For the five sins that kill unity, he's going to talk about them right now. Because in order to have holiness, in order to have unity in our conduct, we need to purge out or push aside the flesh if you want unity. You want to know what the five deadly sins are when it comes to unity? Well, let's read them in verse 1. It says here, therefore, lay aside, push away any sins that push you apart from one another. And here it is, aside all, number one, the first sin, malice. You know what malice is? Is put aside, lay aside any evil behavior. Any malicious, wicked behavior. What is the church supposed to do right now, today? Lay aside Malice, because malice pushes us apart from one another. Evil behavior, laid aside. Also, lay aside, verse 1, all deceit. Lay aside lying to one another. Not only lying, but living a life of cunning, disingenuous, two-faced life. Don't lie to one another. Don't live a life of a lie. Because living that type of life pushes you apart from one another. And this is saying, don't be disingenuous. Be real. Don't live a life of deceit. Or don't accept anything outside of the truth. Live a life of integrity. Now notice what he says here. Not only malice or deceit, but also he goes into integrity using the word hypocrisy. Lay aside hypocrisy, church. You know what the church doesn't need right now? Is Religious duplicity. (laughs) You know what religious duplicity is? Is that we're living a life of just religious duplicity where one foot is in the church and the other one is in the world. Where hypocrisy, where duplicity is that one thing we are on the outside, but we're another thing in the inside. That destroys unity. And the problem has been that we display or we want change. Notice this is so shallow, shallow when it comes to change, that we want change from the outside in instead of from the inside out. (laughs) You know, we've been looking for that in our country lately. We've been looking for change from the outside in. We want to see a a outside change, a change that, that starts from the outside in, and that's not how real change works. 
Real change starts from the inside out, from the heart. Because the problem or the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Where does the change need to begin in? In our lives, in our hearts. And when the change starts in our hearts, guess what we have now? We've cultivated the beginning of unity. That's why he says, get rid of or lay aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, but also look at the, la- the next one, the fourth one, envy or jealousy. Jealousy quickly kills unity. Jealousy. You know what jealousy happens? It jealousy happens because of greed in our hearts. That's why if you want unity, if you want contentment, you have to be willing to say anything that God doesn't have for me, then I don't want. Do you want anything that God doesn't want for you or doesn't have for you right now? Anything that does, God does not have for me today, I don't need it. I don't need it because he doesn't have it for us. We start to become very covetous or greedy or jealous, and that is the source that kills the unity in the body. In fact, he says this, the very last thing now, and evil speaking, gossip, or unkind speech about one another. Why is it that we're so quick to do that now, and it really ruins the reputation of a brother or sister because of the way that we speak about them? You know what these five deadly sins that kill unity are evidences of? They're evidences of a loveless Christian, of a loveless church. And when the church loses its love, when the believer loses love, you know what it brings or welcomes? It welcomes malice. It welcomes deceit. It welcomes hypocrisy. It welcomes envy. It welcomes evil speaking because we have lost the love. But love covers a multitude of sins. You know what love welcomes? Unity and humility, right? The Christian believer, we as a church, we cannot live this new life or we cannot grow in this new life. Unless old sins and these old habits are renounced. Are you ready to renounce them today? Renounce evil speaking of your brother or sister so that you can pursue and cultivate foster unity? Are you ready to now completely die to malice or now lay aside envy and jealousy so that you can cultivate now this unity and this love, this humility that uh, now Peter is talking about in a time that is so needed? We have to purge these sins. And when the purging takes place in our life, when the cleansing of these behaviors takes place, then the Word of God can do its work. It's like almost trying to have a healthy seed grow on an unfertile soil. (laughs) What is it that you need so that a seed can grow the right way? You need the right kind of soil. And you know what Peter is saying? Make sure that you cultivate good soil in your heart so that the word and the seed of the word of God can grow thereby. The reason why oftentimes we don't grow spiritually is because the soil is hard in our hearts. What does the condition of the soil look like today? How is it that you fertilize healthy soil? You know how you fertilize soil in your heart, good soil in your heart? By daily repentance. Repentance is the fertilizer that we need today as a church. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger, clamor, or or disputes, evil speaking, be put away with all malice, and be kind to one another, Tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Lay aside every behavior that doesn't promote brotherly love. Lay aside every behavior that doesn't promote humility. Lay aside every behavior that doesn't promote respect. Because none of these things promote unity, and they're all or a byproduct of a loveless Christian. Now, do you see that this is exactly what he's saying? These are the fruits of carnality. What are the fruits of carnality? These are it. He's given us the fruits of our carnality right here in this verse in only five traits. So what is he saying? When you are being persecuted, when you feel the pressure of trials, what does the world need to see in you? What does the world need to see in us right now? You know what the world needs to see in the church? They need to see a Galatians 5.22 church. <laughs> a church that is filled with the fruits of the Spirit. You know where fruit is? Fruit only grows on the soil of the Word of God. The fruit of the Spirit only grows on the soil of the Word of God. You want the fruit of the Spirit? Then you have to be planted in the soil of the Word of God. That's where the fruit of the Spirit grows. Galatians 5.22 is what we need to display right now. And that's what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit, what is it? Is love. <laughs> now, it doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit are these things. The fruit of the Spirit is one thing. And what is that one thing? It's love. And everything after that is a byproduct of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and because you have love, the fruit of the Spirit is working in you. Guess what you also have? Love gives birth to joy, and then peace, and then long-suffering, and then kindness, and then goodness, and then faithfulness. What does it say? The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. It's self-control. Against none of these there is no law, and those who are Christ, notice this, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also... Walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What is it that we ought to display today is the fruit of the Spirit. So that we don't provoke one another, we don't envy one another, but we're displaying the love of God, the fruits of the Spirit. Why? Because we're pursuing unity that comes from the Word of God. Now notice verse 2 and 3. This is how we continue to grow. I want you to look at this. And in verse 2, it says, as newborn babes. <laughs> Have you seen a newborn babe? What does a newborn babe do? Just sleep, rest, and eat. <laughs> but I, I love that when you see what a newborn babe does is that it craves the nursing and the nourishment that comes from his or her mother. Now, it says here in verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. How do you cultivate this unity that he's talking about? By desiring the right things. By craving. That word desire means crave the pure spiritual milk. What do you crave today? Are you craving something outside of that spiritual nourishment that you need? Crave. Not only desire, but crave it so that you can grow thereby. So that you can grow into the full experience of salvation by pursuing now spiritual growth. You know that word desire means almost like a baby that is crying out for nourishment. Cry out for nourishment. Cry out for the word of God, it says. Because spiritual maturity, notice this, that growth that it's talking about, it's talking about spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity 
is only marked by craving, not only craving, but delighting now in God's word with intensity, almost like a baby craving and crying out for milk. That's how you become a spiritual mature believer. Well, you have an instinct yearning now for their mother's milk so that you can grow thereby. Now look at verse 2. It says that you may grow in it. That should be your priority. Is your priority this life in this life in this year to grow spiritually? What is your priority? Have you resolved to grow spiritually? What do you desire? Oftentimes we desire a promotion. We desire a better situation. We desire progress. We desire change. And all these things are good things. But they should never get in the way of the primary desire, which is to develop a desire about the truth of the Word of God. Do you have a desire for it? Do you have a desire to spend time in the Word of God so that you can grow thereby? So you can abide and have that joy of the Lord? It's in the Word of God? The, the Bible says, Jesus said in John chapter 8, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, and my, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Desire the pure milk of the word of God, if indeed, verse 3, as we close, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you experienced the goodness of God in your life? Those that trust God, that have personally experienced His goodness, the grace of God, to those who have trusted, now that you've experienced of goodness, now that you have tasted it, desire the Word of God. Have you ever tried something and you tasted it, and what happens maybe a couple weeks later or a couple months later or a couple even days later? You start to crave it because you tasted it. Oh, that was so good. The experience that it brought to me was so riching. It was so satisfying. I tasted it for myself. I experienced it, so now I crave it. You see, when you, cra- when you tasted the goodness of God, you know what he's saying now to the church? Now crave it. De- develop an appetite for the word of God. How do you develop an appetite for the word of God? Have you ever heard something? Someone said, you know what, this is an acquired taste. It means that you might not like it initially, but it's an acquired taste. That means that you learn and you develop a a taste for it, right? It's an acquired taste. You know how you develop an acquired taste for the Word of God? By continuing to go to it as your primary source. By continuing to go to it as your primary source. What does the psalmist say in Psalms 34 verse 8? Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Oh, taste and see, God is good. Now, blesses the person that trusts in him and his word. Notice the psalmist said, taste and see. He didn't say, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blesses the person, or blessed be the person that trusts in the Lord. He didn't say that. He said, oh, have you ever tried something and tastes so good? Oh, that is so good. Oh, it's so good. That's what the psalmist was saying. I've tried the Lord's goodness. Oh, it's so good, his goodness. And it's coming from the word of God. So you know what I want to do? I want to open up his goodness, his word, and I want to develop an appetite and a desire for it because this is the only thing that is enduring. This is the only thing that lasts. And in it, I can grow. Outside of it, I will never grow.
Will you choose to grow this year? To grow in the word of God? Or are you saying, I've tasted it. I've experienced it. I've been there. And now I want to develop a healthy desire for the word of God. Because the flowers fade away. Because the grass withers. But the word of God endures forever. And you know what the word of God produces in me? A love and unity that the world needs to see right now and today. The world doesn't need to see an anxious believer that's kicking and screaming against policy. The world needs to see a believer that's standing on principles and precepts of the Word of God. Why? Because we don't live on circumstances. We don't live on explanations. We live on promises. <laughs> Amen. Let's go ahead and pray.